Okay, let's talk about candles for a minute. Do you know that almost 2 billion candles are sold globally each year and almost all of them are likely to end up in landfills for the next 1 million years? It's insane. That's why I think it's really cool that Notes candles exist. They're working to eliminate single-use candle vessels and give home fragrance lovers a more earth-friendly option. Notes has created a refillable candle system that allows you to use your candle vessel over and over again. It is super easy. The candles are made with fragranced wax beads, so all you do is place the wick in your reusable notes jar and fill it up with the wax beads and enjoy your fragrance for up to 36 hours. The Santal and Atlas Cedar scent is like this woodsy calming smell. It's so nice. And they have oat milk and balsam berry, vanilla and pepperwood, pistachio and rose water, and a total of 13 really great options to choose from. Be a responsible consumer while not giving up high quality home fragrance by making the switch to notes. You can build your custom starter kit right now at notescandle.com slash that sounds fun. Right now, notes is giving our friends 15% off and free shipping when you buy a notes starter kit using the code that sounds fun. Just use that code that sounds fun when you're placing your order. That's that sounds fun at notescandle.com slash that sounds fun. Down in your car to your home Every week it's something new A deep talk or an interview She'll make it laugh, she'll make it cry When it's dark out, she's a light When you're down, get your feeling right Oh man, that's some fun Hi friends, and welcome back to another episode of That Sounds Fun Our 10th anniversary year I'm your host, Annie F. Downs I'm so happy to be here with you today Before we dive into today's conversation, I want to tell you about one of our incredible sponsors, Athletic Greens. Taking care of our health is not always easy. I hear you. But there is one simple way to make sure we're getting the nutrients we need in a day. It's why I've been drinking AG1. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. It makes me feel so much more energized and ready for the day. It's because each serving of AG1 has my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more. It's a powerful, healthy habit, but it's also really easy. If I'm running short on time in the morning, or when I'm traveling like I am now, I just grab a travel pack. Each one is an individual serving of AG1 that's easy to mix on the go, so I make sure I still get my daily nutrients. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it is AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. We're so grateful for that. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1 as well. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 plus K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash sounds fun. That's drinkag1.com slash sounds fun. Y'all check it out. Today on the show, I get to talk with my friend and one of our worldwide favorites, John Mark Comer. You know him and love him. And today is his sixth time being on That Sounds Fun. That's right. Member of the Hall of Fun. Any guest who's been with us more than five times. He's taught us so much about rest and Sabbath. And and his new book, Practicing the Way, he's doing a deep dive on some spiritual practices that will help you and Jesus connect in consistent and deeper ways. This is another incredible conversation to help us really kick off this year. Remember, we're letting ourselves have the whole month of January to kind of plan and prepare and and move into 2024. And this conversation, I think, is another step in that for us. So here is our friend and Hall of Funner, John Mark Comer. That sounds fun. 
Okay, John Mark Comer, welcome back to That Sounds Fun. Annie, what a delight to see you. You fill my heart with joy. What a treat. Great to see you. I feel the same way. Listen, I have a big announcement for you that you don't even okay, know. Okay, hit me. Listen, I got to show you this. We are on video. You, my friend, are part of the Hall of Fun. What? John Mark Comer. Okay, so start, start right from the here. beginning. I am basically off social media. I work from home. I have no chance to ever listen to podcasts. I'm out of the loop on all of my friends, all of them. I have no idea. I don't yes, know if you. Here it is. You could have had. I have no idea. You could have adopted nine babies. What is the Hall of Fun? <laughs> I did not. I I'd have texted you. Um, I'd have sent you the um gift the gift thing on Amazon if I was adopting nine babies. <laughs> um, okay. That Sounds Fun Podcast Hall of Fun is anyone who has been a guest on the show five or more what? times. And today is your sixth no episode, my friend. No way. Okay, who, who else? Yes. Who else is, who's in competition for well, number seven? That's the question. Right next to you is Santa Claus. Right next to you yeah, is Santa Claus. I have Claus. so many questions. Just so Did you know. You... No, no, no. Let me think. Let me tell you who else is on here. Ellie Holcomb. Um, who else would you know on here? Michael Ware. Dave Barnes. The girls from She Reads Truth. I mean, there's only about... A l- 10 of y'all. Wow. Uh, no, sorry. Three times four is 12, 13, 14 people in 800 episodes are in the Hall of Can Fun. Can we just stop and just say Hall of Fun? Well done on the branding. A++. Uh, thank you. <laughs> thank <That's> you. <laughs> I thought you'd enjoy that. So congratulations. I've been dying to tell you in real life, and I thought, no, I got to just save it. For when he is on the okay, pod and so say, for those welcome watching to the Hall of on fun. the tube or whatever, can you please replace your That Sounds Fun logo backdrop with the Hall of Fun so uh-huh. that people can see my name on <laughs> every so podcast? So people can see it? Thank yes, you. we will share it. We will absolutely <laughs> share it. Um, okay, John Mark, it is our 10th year of That Sounds Fun. We have a lot of celebrating to do this year. And one of the ways we're doing that, thank you, is we are starting every episode asking Tell me what sounds fun to you right now. Tell me what's going on in the Comer home that is fun for y'all right now. What sounds fun? Vacation sounds fun, Annie Downs. We, yeah, I it has been that. such a stressful season. We had all of our kids, so we just moved. All of our kids started a new high school and we bought an old fixer upper and I'm starting an organization. And let me just say, we sh- you should do one of those things at a time, not four of those yeah right right and so i like when i fantasize right now it's not about bad things it's about vacation like i just imagine myself (laughs) somebody sent me a link to one like way out in joshua tree like desert desert like no neighbors dirt road joshua tree and i just can't stop thinking about it i just want to go Oh, listen, Airbnb is such a bad drug for me, dude. It is such a bad drug. It's bad. So um, what, on an honest answer, what sounds fun? Um, I'm loving just our Sabbath feast right now. We just moved and we had this incredible Sabbath community in Portland that uh, we would do, we begin the Sabbath with like a Sabbath feast together. And it was like, transformed our Sabbath practice. It was the highlight of the week. It was it was just a weekly party and a really special group of people. And then we moved and did a 10 month kind of family gap year with um, some lovely people, but nobody there, uh, basically nobody there kept Sabbath. And so we just did Sabbath by yeah. ourselves for, you know, a better part of a year, which was fine. It was still really beautiful. And now we've kind of moved to put down roots in LA and we're still, building community kind of from scratch. There's only a few people we're close to, yeah. but they've been coming for Sabbath dinners, keeping Sabbath. 
And a couple of them are just hilarious and wonderful to be around. And so that sounds fun. In this crazy season of stress where my life is way outside my kind of normal, normal, more healthy boundaries, just as far as work and activity, it's such a gift to know that Sabbath is coming. And no matter how many hours I have, we're recording this on a Thursday, no matter how many hours I have to work yeah. tonight, how late I have to work or whatever, I know that tomorrow at 6 p.m., all the devices will go off. There'll be no anything, mm -hmm. no work, and some really great people I love will be sitting at my table, and I at least have that 24-hour gift. So yeah. that sounds fun. Yeah. How do you not bend to the pressure externally or internally when Saturday comes of like, man, if I could just do – two hours. If I could just do two hours of work and I could knock out two hours, all the kids are reading books. My wife is out doing something with friends. Uh, if I could just do two hours of work, I would feel so much better. How do you not bend to that? I don't know if this is a helpful answer, but I feel like based on my own experience and that of a few older, wiser people that mentor me and I respect and look up to that if you go on the spiritual journey, not to get too emo here, but there is a kind of, no, there it. is a bit of an arc where early on in our life, we tend to be, you know, in David Brooks's language, our focus is what he calls the first mountain. We tend, you know, if not all people, but particularly people like me or like you who are a bit more type A, a bit more driven, a bit more entrepreneurial, mm -hmm. our focus tends to be work, getting our life together, building a career or a ministry or whatever, doing things in the world, all good things. But underneath it, there is a drivenness, there's an ambition, ego. I don't care how good what you're doing is, planting a church or starting a ministry or writing books about Jesus. Right. And like our motivations right. are mixed at best. And anybody that says differently is right. either delusional or highly deceptive, either a bad route. Yeah. Unself-aware yes. on I, their best yeah, day. I mean, at yeah. best, my motivations are mixed. That's the honest truth. Yeah. And especially early on. And, you know, there's a gift in that. I think that ambition, which is something the New Testament warns against, God is so gracious. I think he often uses our shadow side, uses our mixed motivation to propel us to do things that if we actually knew how difficult they were going to be, we would never say yes to. So mm -hmm. I think ambition works with ministry wow. and work similar to how romance works with marriage. Like M. Scott Peck, you know, does the kind of evolutionary psychology around how feeling intense feelings of desire for another person last on average six to 24 months and then go away. Uh -huh. And they're often designed by God or nature or, you know, depending on your worldview, to get us to make a commitment to another person in marriage that if we actually knew how difficult marriage was going to be, none of us would ever make that commitment. But those feelings, mm. which often are just, frankly, we romanticize them and we sanitize them, but often they're just burning sexual desire or narcissism, or I like mm. how this person makes me feel, or I'm insecure, and when I'm right. with this person, I feel less insecure, I'm anxious, and when I'm with this person, I feel safe. They're less than noble motivations a lot. But God often uses those 
mixed motivations to get us to make a commitment that then if we stay faithful to that commitment over decades will be one of the most difficult and one of the most transformative relationships right. we're ever in. And I think work and ministry yeah. is the same way. God often, often uses this mixed motivation of ambition, ego, anxiety, we want to prove our daddy wrong or whatever. And God so graciously <laughs> meets us in that and uses it to get us to then go do things that often require self-sacrifice, death to self, facing yeah. our shadow side, suffering, pain, building resilience. So all that to say, that is that kind of drivenness that not all people have, but a lot of type A people have. Uh, I think it is slowly burned clean as you apprentice under Jesus over a lifetime. And I don't think our motivation is ever, I don't know that there's ever a moment where I am pure love and I'm on this podcast just to yeah. radiate love to Annie F. Downs. Right. I, um, right. I would like to think that when I'm 80 and we're on podcast number 71 of the Hall of Fun, That's right. I would like to think that my motivation would be much more pure and loving and servant-hearted than it was the first time, you know, when I'm like, Ooh, Andy, that's a big podcast. I want to sell books. I want to make it as a writer. Let's go on her podcast. I would like to think there's a transformation in my motivation. Now, this is a very long answer to a very short question. Um, but I think what happens is as that motivation begins to be burned clean, purged, purified, set free by Jesus, there, there's a, there's a good thing that happens where we began to do our work more out of love and service. You know, that Kelly Cal Gibran line, work is love made visible. You know, we began to do our work just mm -hmm. to express the love of the Trinity to other people. But the, the sad part of that is, or the difficult part that I'm facing now, this kind of whatever middle point I'm at in my spiritual journey, is I would much rather just read books and pray and make dinner for my family than do anything. <laughs> I'm like, so yeah. I feel really yeah. free of ambition and really like, yeah, but I, I would love, <laughs> I would love to just sit in my quiet office and pray for the morning and right. read and think, and then go make dinner for my family and watch the sunset, you know? So I have to yeah. get my yeah. motivation up, you know? So I don't know. Yeah. Do you ever, um, did you ever, read the book or come across the paradigm on the critical journey, that stage theory at a Fuller Seminary? I don't think so. That's not the graphic you have in the book, is it? Yeah, there is a graphic in the book. The triangle? Yes. Uh, no, not oh. the triangle. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. a circle graphic on stages of, I don't really go very deep into it in the book. I kind of reference it in the book. Mm -hmm. But they have this, um, so stage theory is kind of like the discipleship version of developmental psychology where they... Attempt yes. to kind of map various stages we go through in our spiritual development into Christ-like character. And uh, there's these mm -hmm. two professors, Janet Hagberg, Robert Gulick. They came up with a six-part stage theory um, based on a large data set of thousands of Christians. And Found there it is. It. There it is right there. So Page 77, everybody. Read them to us, Annie. Okay, stage one, recognition of God. Stage two, life of discipleship. Stage three, productive life. Stage four, journey inward. Stage five, journey outward. And stage six, life of love. So I love this paradigm. We could talk about this for the whole yeah. Yeah. conversation. Do it. 
But the point I make in the book about it is that most, they argue most Christians never mature beyond stage three. Yes, so stage one. Yes, because there's a wall. There's a wall. So stage one, they call recognition of God. That's what evangelicals would call getting saved. Ancient Christians called it awakening. You begin to, you awake to God and desire to follow him. Stage two, they call life of discipleship, which is just like you become a basic Christian. You begin going to church, learning the Bible, learning basic spiritual practices, learning how to, you know, obey the commands of Jesus. Stage three, the productive life, you begin to do things for God. You may lead a small group at your church or start a podcast or begin to take your work seriously as a Christian or volunteer in an area way or lead a mission trip or start a justice initiative. You begin to do, not just to learn about Jesus, but to actually do Jesus kind of stuff. And that's where yeah. most Christian discipleship ends. It's, it's the end of most American Christian spiritual development. And then you tend to, and this this is not this linear, the wall can come at any point in your journey. It can come when you're four years old due to a family trauma. It can come much later. It can you know, come multiple times. But you hit what they call the wall, which is some kind of an experience, like the, the language in Alcoholics Anonymous is the only way out is through. It's some kind of experience. Yeah. It's divorce. It's the bankruptcy. It's the failure of a business. It's you know, you get fired. It's some kind of an experience where, like, there's no getting around it, and um, you're in a, you're in a time of pain, suffering. You're in a trial or tribulation, a language of the New Testament, and the only way out is through. And a lot of people never go mm -hmm. through. They go backward. They get stuck. They get off the spiritual journey. They deconstruct their faith and go on a different journey. But if you go through, you go into stage four that they call the inner journey. This is where like you might begin to do therapy and revisit and you begin to become aware of your shadow side. You might begin to adopt more mm -hmm. contemplative Christian practices and you begin to come awake to your family to, of origin, to your woundedness, to the parts of you that are deeply broken and you can't fix through willpower. And then stage five, they call uh, the outer journey. So now you begin to re kind of emerge into the world and do good things. And from the outside, stage five, this is what I'm getting to, and stage three look very similar. You're out doing things for God. Oh, You're yeah, they work, do, I bet. Yeah. yeah. But they're very different because you are profoundly different at this stage. Your motivational structure is profoundly liberated of the ego. You're not like pure love yet. Yeah. But you're real. You, you are calmer. You're more tranquil. You're more free of outcomes. You're less interested in success. You know, what's the... The Ronald Rollheiser line, success has very little to teach us in the second half of life. It still feels good, but it doesn't really do much for our development as people. Whereas early yeah, in the journey, success yeah. does a lot because success early on, if we are graced with that, tells us and trains us what we are to give our energies to. But once you kind of know that, wow. and now I know that, it's kind of like now success is not really going to help me. You know, if I had written a book and it did well when I was 24, that would have been a great indicator. Like, oh, you should write. Now I'm like, all right, no, I know I want to write till I die. If this next book does amazing or if it flops, either way, that's not really, it's not really going to help my development as a person of love, <laughs> you know? Right, right, so, right. And then they have a final stage, the life of love, which few people ever reach, but that's just... You just radiate love. Your life is your ministry, not even what you do or what you say, just 
people being around you. You just like are a medium for a conduit for the love of the Trinity. So lots of things we could say about that in the book. The point I'm making is that most people's model of discipleship doesn't take them past stage three. To your conversation in this point, um, I don't know where I'm at in that journey, but somewhere in that awkward middle where my motivation is slowly but surely being purged and purified. And I'm at this spot where I think maybe I'm in stage four and I, I just want to sit and journal yeah. and pray, but I have to get up and go to work mm. in the morning. <laughs> well, you know, you know, what's funny is I kind of when I look at the diagram and when I think about what you're writing around it because what uh, what you're writing around it is this is what we thought we thought there'd be a fast version of this and there is no fast version yes. of life as an actual apprentice of yes. Jesus. And for as much as I love you and love being your friend, one of the hardest things you tell me over and over in your work <laughs> is this is going to be slow. Yes. The whole thing. It's just going to this is our whole life. And but I I quote you. I bet I quote I bet I say this quote almost every time I teach John Mark where you said you don't decide when you're 80 who you're going to be when you're 80. Yeah. You're deciding yes. right now. And you talk about it again in practicing the way you talk about like hey your favorite people everyone when you get to know them at 80 they are either <laughs> very great to be around or very not great to be around because they yes. have been formed their There's whole life. There's not a lot of 80 year olds that are mid as my kids would say. You know, yeah, I mean, there are some, but yeah, most right, like 25 right. year olds aren't like the next Mother Teresa or like a potential terrorist. Most 25 year olds are just mid. We're just mm -hmm. like hopefully decent people. Yeah. Most 85 year olds yeah. lean significantly to one of the two sides. Right. Yeah. Right. So when I'm thinking about, I mean, I, I, as you know, I love practicing the way I love the podcast. I love the work y'all are doing with that organization. This book though, I told you yesterday, I texted you, I was like, this thing is stout. There is like so <laughs> what do you mean much by stout? You did text do. me that and you put stout in all just, caps. I was like, I don't know. Is stout a good thing? Is it a bad thing? I'm not sure. Yeah. You know what could happen? I'll tell you the truth, and you can tell me if you want me to cut this. What could happen when somebody writes a book around an organization they're creating is it's just the exact same stuff that the people already know, and this is not that. Practicing the way the book – I said this to my teammates at lunch today. I was like, there are things in this book that I have not heard, and I've listened to every podcast oh, y'all put out because I'm trying to be an apprentice of yes. Jesus. I'm pretty and sure so you are, Annie. I'm there. Well, thank you. I, I am – so there are some things that you read in the book that are mentioned as well. I mean, the practices yes. are the practices, but but the book is stout because, and here's my question that I'm getting to, is if this is going to be my whole life, if this journey is long with getting through these stages, yes. and if, if, if this is a long, slow process, as you said, hold on, I want to read you to yourself. I'm going to read you a quote. <laughs> If spiritual formation is simply the way of the human spirit or self is formed into a definitive shape, then spiritual formation in the way of Jesus is how each of us is formed to be like Jesus and become our deepest, truest self. And then you literally go on to be like, and it's going to take forever. <laughs> it's going to take That's forever. That's paraphrase people, but yes. Tell me, yeah, the rest, I didn't read the whole page. That's a paraphrase <laughs> of the rest of it. If spiritual formation is going to take forever, do we need to define where we are on that circle? Do we need to know where we are in the journey or do we just keep going? Um, there are different schools of thought. Some people are very borderline hostile toward the idea of like a stage theory of kind of attempting to map the spiritual journey because there's no one mm -hmm. size fits all approach and the 
the danger with trying to like say, oh, I'm in stage three or I'm in stage two or I'm in stage five. The danger is, you know, you fall prey to either pride or despair, you know, oh, look at me, I'm so far ahead or oh, look at me, I'm so far behind. And pride and despair are both, you know, not helpful at all. I find yeah. it helpful um, because I, I think we're not the first people to go on the spiritual journey. There are many that have gone before us over the last few thousand years, saints and sages, and who have left behind, you know, words of wisdom, you know, uh, kind of markers for the road and, you know, to look for and words of warning of what to watch out for. And I think an attempt to kind of plot yourself can be for certain personality types like my own, very helpful, really just for two reasons. You want to better name Jesus invitations and his warnings to you. So at wherever ah. you're at, whether you're midlife or 21 and you just became a Christian or you're 85 and nearing the end, you want to be able to say, hey, here at this stage in both life and in spiritual development, which are not the same, but they overlap, these are some of the real dangers. And uh, ah. at this stage, here are some of the invitations of Jesus to me, you know? And yeah. Um, yeah. and they're very different. Like the, you know, Ronald Rollheiser has written, I think, more helpfully about this concept than anyone I know. He would say that the invitations of Jesus are for all people for all time, but they come to us differently at different stages and seasons of our life, you know? So when God said, when Jesus says, we read, you know, come deny yourself and follow me. If we're 15 years old and we're not a Christian yet, we hear that and receive that invitation one way. If we're 72, year old, 72 years old and we've been following Jesus for half a century, we hear and receive that yeah. same invitation. It means something different. What it means to die to yourself, yeah. to surrender yourself means something different at 72 than at 22. And um, so I don't know. I don't I find it helpful. Other people don't. You can make too much yeah. of it. You can make too little of it. I think the key is to realize, and what I'm trying to message in this book, that following Jesus is not a religion called Christianity that you ascribe to and you learn more about through lectures and sermons and books. That following Jesus mm -hmm. is a lifelong spiritual journey it's more like apprenticeship to a master craftsperson or artist than it is learning. It's more like learning jujitsu than learning quantum physics. It's, you know, it's something you learn with your body and your life, not just with your brain. Yeah. And it is a lifelong journey that you never arrive. You never arrive. And you're always, you never always in progress. And um, I mentioned in the book, you know, technology... So we, you know, you talk about this a lot, Annie, but our generation is living through when the, have you ever had Ben Sass on the podcast? No. Do I need to? I think he's brilliant. I think he's, I, I don't, okay, I'm great. so apolitical. He was a Senator for a while. I don't even know what he, what his voting record was. So I have no opinion on his yeah, I'll look him life, up. but I love <laughs> it when he is talking. He's written a couple great books. Um, and he was a historian, uh, educated at Yale before he be, went into politics and now he's back in education. But he, his basic case is, hey, listen, when his 200 years from now, when historians explain our generation, our lifetime, right? 
They will not talk about uh, Donald Trump. They will not talk about Antifa. They will not talk about uh, they will not talk about political polarization. They will not talk about everything happening in Congress. They will talk about the shift to a digital world and how it was mm. in all of human history one of the most epochal changes that human beings have ever lived through and that it caused wow. so much. So, like he talks about the last major change being the shift from an agrarian world to an industrial world, which happened, I think, roughly from the 1870s to the 1920s, right, over about half a century. Yeah. And he talks about how the social disruption caused by, he talks about prohibition, right? So we look back at prohibition and think right. it's so bizarre that uh, America made all alcohol illegal, right? But then he talks about how there was an 86% approval rating for prohibition. 86% oh, wow. of Americans thought we should amend, like we should make all alcohol illegal. I just, I can't fathom that. And he basically says wow. it's because alcohol was such a problem because the social disruption caused by all of these people who basically were rural farmers living in small extended family village life, deeply relational communal life, moving into Queens and Chicago and these urban environments surrounded by strangers, noise, busyness, was so great that substance abuse was so out of control that 86% of Americans thought we need to make all alcohol legal. And then he basically says that the social disruption we're living through in the shift to social media and the digital age is an even greater disruption. And instead of happening over half a century, it wow. basically happened in half a decade. And a de yeah, I was about to say not even a decade. Anything about <laughs> mental illness and anxiety and I'm like all the craziness. So it's a long way of saying we are living through a technological revolution that 500 years from now, people will still be talking about. And there are gifts of this. I mean, I'm looking at you in real time. You're on the other side of the right. country. It was not very long right. ago. It would have been like a four-month journey for me to come look at your face, and I probably would have right. died on the journey. The right. odds of making it were about 50-50, <laughs> right? So now it's like, it's amazing. We're like, I'm looking at a picture of you yeah. from another part of the world, you know? And right. so there are amazing gifts in technology, and you're listening to a recording of this weeks or months later. But I think technology has had three disastrous impacts on our spiritual formation or discipleship, it has unconsciously trained our bodies to expect life to be fast, easy, and controllable. So mm, yes, when I want to record man, a podcast with you, fast, book. no problem. It takes about 30 seconds to text you a link to Riverside and like, let's yep. pop on, let's chat. Easy, requires yep. nothing. I move my thumb a couple of times and boom, I'm looking at Annie Downs controllable. I can start, I can turn off, I can edit it, I can put filters on it to try to make my skin look less whatever. Like it's so controllable. And spiritual formation is the opposite of those three things. It's not fast, it's slow. Right. It's not easy, it's difficult. Yep. And it's certainly uh, not controllable. It's radically outside right. of our control. And often it's the things that we can't control and fight against like suffering that God uses the most and failure and disappointment and heartache 
that actually is like God's curriculum to shape us to be people of love. So again, I'm not trying to whine about technology. I'm grateful that I can never get lost anymore because of my Maps app, blah, blah, blah. But, <laughs> but there are some real shadow sides to it when it comes to formation yeah. that I think we have to actively work Hey friends, just interrupting this conversation real quick to share about one of our amazing partners, Shopify. Okay, if you're starting a small business this year, or if you make something really cool and have been trying to figure out the best way to sell it, Shopify is the way to go. Whether you're making artwork or earrings, we are here for it. And so is Shopify. We use Shopify to run shopanniefdowns.com, and it has been so easy and helpful. They're the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just make a lot of money stage? No matter what you decide to sell, Shopify helps you sell it everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and an in-person point-of-sale POS system. So wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers, and they sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, which is your AI-powered all-star. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for the $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash sounds fun, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash sounds fun now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash sounds fun all right we all know the way our hair or skin look can sway our mood and impact our day if one of them feels off it just feels like the day is starting off on the wrong foot i've never found beauty products that really fit my personal hair goals but ever since i switched to a custom hair and skin routine with pros i've noticed so many benefits healthier shinier hair and healthier skin too with pros, personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. For example, my custom shampoo and conditioner, which I love, they formulate to make my hair more manageable, shiny, hydrated. It's amazing, y'all. They truly deliver. Pros is better for the planet, too. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback, adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life, the city that I'm living in. It is amazing, you guys. Pros is so confident that they'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order. You guys, 5-0. 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash that sounds fun. So you get your free consultation and then you get 50% off at pros.com slash that sounds fun. This is the season to try pros if you have not tried them before. Pros.com slash that sounds fun. That's P R O S E.com slash that sounds fun. Y'all, I recently placed a Thrive Market order for my place in New York so that I'd have all the essentials stocked in the pantry and refrigerator when I'm there. And I want you to hear what I saved as a Thrive member. Okay, I got protein shakes, creamer, chips, soaps, and some other things, you know, all the necessary things. I spent $70 and saved $33.39. Y'all, that is so much money. It's seriously so easy. It also shipped right to my door. 
Plus, I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods, and they have an online filtering system that allows you to sort based on what you're looking for. So if you're hunting for gluten-free options or dairy-free snacks, you can curate your own shopping experience really easily. They always have a deals page, too, that you can look through as well. Oh, I love it. And when you join Thrive Market, you're also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. It's awesome. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Just go to thrivemarket.com slash that sounds fun and get 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash that sounds fun. Thrivemarket.com slash that sounds fun. Okay, now back to our conversation with John Mark. Do you know there are times, tell me, tell me what to do about this. There are times where I feel as um, guilty about being on my phone as I used to feel when I was in sin patterns I couldn't get out of as a teenager. Oh, interesting. Like it feels like the same kind of like, um, man, I wish I wasn't doing this. Man, I don't, what am I doing? What am I doing? Like, I don't want to spend my time like this. Like I have it, I have those same narratives in my head sometimes about not being able to not being able put that in big quotes not being able to put my phone yeah. down as I did as a teenager when I was struggling with sin patterns I couldn't get out of mm. what to tell you what to do about that I Annie you are a well what do you think you don't wife. have to have a, you don't have to have a solution what do you think about I think that? I think you are right that's that's a fascinating insight into the inner dynamics of the soul I think um, that's a good problem to have feeling that way about your phone. I think yeah. shame is never helpful. Right. Right. And like, I, I, that's practically my so, roommate sometimes. So, so, so yes, a hundred percent. I'm just hearing Kurt Thompson in my head, you know, sh- shame is lurking in the shadows behind everything. Yeah. So shame, yeah. I'm bad. I can't do it. I, I'd like, you know, that is certainly not a helpful way to break free of, you know, the addiction we all have at some level. It's a question of how bad is it, not do you have it to our yeah. phone. Um, and I think, you know, a, a, a compassion uh, and gentleness, what's that, what's that lovely line from the, the guy that wrote Anamkara, be gentle with yourself, I think is in order because you're living in a world system that is designed to addict you to your phone. So in the same, you know, um, in the same way that if there's a 18 year old guy, male, let's just let's say male, it could be a female, but let's say male, who's struggling with lust and sexual holiness and feels shame about it. And that's not all bad to feel the conviction of the spirit of God, which is not shame, but is a, you know, and to feel, you know, sad over areas of brokenness. But you have to admit you're living in a world like God designed your body to basically be married by 17 or 18 and be like out working right. in the field and producing children early on to help you work in the field. And now we live in an era where not only does marriage happen technically, you know, on average 10 or 20 years after God awakens your body sexually, but, you know, pornography is a thumb swipe away on your phone, you know? Right. So that doesn't justify, you know, sin or habitual habits of lust, 
but it means as you approach it, you have to recognize this is a, you're fighting a worldwide system of evil, you know, and a conspiracy of factors. And I think with the phone, it's the same, like to try to live a slower, unhurried, contemplative, peaceful, Jesus abiding life in the digital age. I mean, it's like, I mean, you are more than swimming upstream. You are attempting to live differently than 99% of the people around you, the systems yeah. of the world, the, the structures and institutions of our society, which goes to um, community. You know, we're not designed, you know, sin thrives in secrecy. So, um, you know, there's right. that saying in AA, we sin alone, but we heal together. And, uh, or there's that other saying, we're only as sick as the secrets we keep. So, so yeah. which is why the Christian pathway out of sin, addiction, compulsion is confession. It's naming your wickedness and your woundedness. And I talk a little bit about this in the book before, not just God, but before loving community. And so there are no secrets and we, you know, we can't free ourselves of all sin based on a choice or willpower, but we can confess all of our I know sins. you say that in the book and I hate that because I would like to believe that I can willpower my life into the life that I want. Oh, that'd be awesome. That'd be so rad if that I know. I, and amazing. I convince myself that four days a week. That like I can just do what needs to be done to have the life that I want. And then I bizarrely get tied up in disappointment when I can't do it. John but willpower, How's I mean, that work? you write about it, about like willpower just isn't the thing that we think it is. Yeah. No, it only, I mean, it works on very so small changes, uh, very small changes, but it's not helpful right. once you begin to touch on the deeper stuff in your shadow you know, you love the Enneagram. Once you start getting into all that Enneagram stuff in there, willpower is yeah. not, is just not, yeah. it's not the solution, you know? So, I mean, how I like to think yeah. about it, and I write a little bit about this in the book. So the New Testament, the writings of scripture, the preaching of the Christian way, give us this kind of vision, theological, spiritual, moral, relational vision of how life should and could be in the kingdom of God. And discipleship mm -hmm. is a lifelong process of beginning to develop the capacity and the, the desire and the capacity, the ability and the willingness, which are two separate things, to, you know, we often desire to do God's will long before we have the ability to do God's will. You know, I desire right, to not sure. worry about my future. I do not yet have the ability to not worry about my future at least right. not at a consistent right. basis. So discipleship is a lifelong process of um, becoming the kinds of people who are who have the ability and the willingness to live this Christian vision of life in the kingdom of God. And it's a lifelong process. So that is all about change. It's all about how do you go from the people that we are to the people who are living the Sermon on the Mount over a lifetime. And when it comes to change, we approach change two ways, directly and indirectly direct change, or we could just say through the agency of willpower, is um, great. I use direct change whenever I possibly can, but it only works on small changes. So for example, if somebody right now mm. begins their morning by checking Instagram, 
rather than by, you know, say, praying a psalm. I could, you could listen to a sermon, you could go to church, you could listen to a podcast, you could be inspired in your heart, and you likely, unless if you're a full-on digital addict, with which actually is a lot of the population, but if you're not, then right. you probably can just decide based on your will, hey, I'm going to read a psalm, I'm going to pray a psalm every morning before I look at my phone. Great. Um, and by the way, don't feel shame if you don't have that capacity. Many people don't right now because of digital addiction. But most of you or many of you can. But once you begin to touch on the deeper issues of discipleship, I mean, I'm at a spot in my discipleship where almost all of the brokenness in my life is so far beyond my ability to change through willpower or direct effort. Right. You know what I mean? It's my right. emotional reactivity to my senior in high school when he does something that scares me or it's disappointment I have over my marriage and the way it leaks out. And my wife is lovely, but the way it leaks out and contempt kind of digs, you know, and like that or anxiety I have over the future or fear of what other people will think of me. All of these areas where I need to change in order to become the kind of person who is living in the kingdom of God with Jesus, who is, who is, who is more loving and joyful and peaceful, they are all beyond the range of my willpower. My problem is no longer that I don't know what the Bible teaches, and it is not that I don't desire to obey the commands of the Bible. It is that I do not have the capacity in my body to obey the commands of the Bible consistently. Right. And that's right. the life of discipleship. How do you become the kind of person who can actually obey what Jesus commanded? And that's a lifelong process. Yeah. Those kinds of changes we approach indirectly. So there's a, let me give you a couple basic examples of indirect change. One would be the practices of the spiritual discipline. So let's take anxiety. Jesus mm -hmm. says, don't worry about tomorrow. Uh, right. <laughs> very direct, Lord. <laughs> very, thank you, Jesus. That's I I I I now I know Can Jesus do. <laughs> I want to obey Jesus' commands. I have like that other commands right. it takes you a while, like his commands around money, his commands around sexuality, divorce, often take you a while of following him to come to agree with him, to come to trust his moral vision. That one I'm like, no, no, I'm there. I, I don't want to worry about tomorrow, Jesus. I would love yeah. to be a person who is totally free of worry. Um, my problem yeah. is not a lack of Bible, biblical knowledge and it's not a lack of desire. It's that the, the habits of sin in my body are so deep that I am so afraid so often of tomorrow. And so mm. I can't just flip a switch and not worry about tomorrow this consistently. I can a little bit, you know, there's certain things a thought might come in, but no, I'm not gonna worry about that. I'm just gonna be in the moment. But consistently, overall, I'm not yet the kind of person that can live with no anxiety about the future. But you know what I can do? Is I can practice Sabbath. That is within the realm of my willpower. I can turn my phone off for 24 hours every weekend. I can begin my morning by praying the Psalms before I ever touch my phone. These kinds of changes are within the realm of my willpower. I can do them as a disciple of Jesus. Wow. And they're yeah. indirect change, you know, by, so one definition of the practices or the disciplines is they are disciplines by which I do what I can do, practice Sabbath, turn off my phone, read the Psalms, pray the Psalms, so that I can make space for God to transform me into the kind of person mm -hmm. who can eventually do what I currently cannot do 
not worry about my future right. or be anxious at all. So I can't flip a switch and never worry again about my future, but I can practice Sabbath. I can pray the Psalms. I can do life in community and bear my fears with my close friends. I can do the work of therapy and you just keep exposing deeper and deeper layers of my brokenness to Jesus to heal. And eventually God through all of that messy lifelong relational process of discipleship can transform me into the kind of person who's less anxious, less anxious, less anxious, maybe not pure, pure freedom. But I think that there's, there will be a day where I've already seen dramatic growth where I will be profoundly calm and at peace before God. That will be my new yeah. baseline. And, um, mm. but it's a long, it's a long, slow process. It's a long, slow process. One of the things you wrote about, you know, I, we have the Let's Read the Gospels podcast where we, yes. I read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, yes, John, yes, for the yes. whole year of 2023. Yes. And we're doing it, uh, we're doing some more here in 24. But one of the things that I never paid attention to until you called it out, and now every time I read it, it stands out to me, is there were only two groups, crowds yes. or apprentices. Yes. I mean, there were Sadducees and Pharisees, so there's a difference. But of people who were following Jesus, you were either in the crowd or you were up close apprenticing. And as I'm reading and listening, as I'm even hearing you now, the indirect and the growth, is it fair to say that there are areas of my life where I'm where I'm a up close apprentice and there's areas where I might be in the crowd? <laughs> or are you all one or the other? Well, the nice thing about apprenticeship is it's more about your level of devotion than your level of maturity. And oh, that is so <laughs> encouraging to my heart. I mean, that's so encouraging. Jesus, <laughs> not just Jesus' disciples. Read it. Like pe people get confused between the apostles and the disciples. So people think Jesus had twelve disciples. Mm -hmm. Jesus had hundreds of disciples. At least one hundred and twenty. Yes. You know, he had seventy that he sent out. He had female disciples, which we literally have no record. Not a one of any rabbi uh, in the ancient world. All rabbis had disciples. We have no record of any rabbi ever with a female disciple before Jesus or after Jesus. I mean, he was the rabbi with female disciples. So Jesus had all these yeah. disciples, and then he had this subgroup of 12 apostles that were this highly symbolic group that blah, blah, blah. Um, we digress. But read, I mean, talk oh. about not just his disciples, but his inner 12. They were a freaking disaster. I mean, they were not, right. but they had left everything to follow him. I mean, one of them full on went mm -hmm. back and betrayed Jesus. Others denied Jesus, abandoned right. Jesus, arguing about who's the greatest. Were so obtuse that the second member of the Trinity had to say to them at one point, "Are you so dull?" <laughs> like they were so, <laughs> so yeah, so thick headed and willfully ignorant, you know. And I love that. So the marker of a disciple is not, "Are you like." crazy, sagacious, calm, spiritual saint. It's, are, are you willing to really follow Jesus? It's, about, it's a measure of commitment, of devotion, wow. of are you willing to give up everything and to follow after him in your stumbling, broken, yeah. wounded, I'm still a mess way. Wow. Yeah. So, so crowd versus apprentice has nothing to do with your ability. It has to do with it's your not desire. A moral if you category. want to be an apprentice, you're up close. Yeah. That's Cause it. the crowd had some people Great. that were really Great. good moral people that were Torah observant Jews. It had other people that were like murderers that were scheming yeah. to kill Jesus. Other people that were just new were still considering yeah. who is this Jesus. 
But it, I mean, the point yeah. I'm making in the book is in America, we have three categories. We have the crowds, disciples, and then we have Christians. This like middle <laughs> right. category, people that like basically agree with the Jesus kind of sort of Christian worldview with some glaring exceptions and maybe even go to church, maybe even on a regular basis, but are not, their life is not organized around learning to obey everything that Jesus commanded. It's organized around work yeah. or pleasure or materialism or fame or success or going fishing on the weekend. Right. And um, so, and that category does not exist in the gospels. And I argue it's a literary device. They don't want it, not because they don't, not because they're not aware that there are people like that, not because there weren't people like that in Jesus' yeah. day, but they want to force you, the reader, they want to put this binary on you that we hate and they want to give it no nuance because they want you yeah. to ask yourself the hard question, yeah. am I an apprentice of Jesus or am I just a face in the crowd? And facing yeah. the crowd doesn't mean you're a bad person. Yeah. doesn't mean you don't believe in Jesus. It doesn't mean you don't agree with Christianity. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean you're, it just means your life is organized around something else. Yeah. Yeah. And now back to finish up our conversation with John Mark. Okay, I have a gospel-centric okay. question that it is okay if you don't have an answer. I just would like to know uh, what you yes, think. I'm, In Matthew, yes. I read it yesterday for Let's Read the Gospels, and every time it brings a question to my mind. In Matthew, Jesus says, you will sit on 12 thrones around me, mm-hmm. right? Do you know where yeah, I'm talking judging about? judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So does that include Judas? Ooh. Yeah, that's that's it. You know what I do in hard situations like this? I text Tim Mackey. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, right. I'm going to ask him. He's coming back on the show in the spring. Uh, so I am going to uh, ask him. I asked him if Mark was the naked guy at the end of Mark. I, that was my big question for Tim Mackey. Don't ask him that because it's theoretically my namesake. There's no John Mark in the Bible, but people think there is. <laughs> It's a confusion thing. <laughs> and yeah. theoretically, it was the naked guy, if it's so. That's so right. I don't want to be that guy. Yeah, that's interesting, though, right? That Jesus, knowing where it would go, said, you're the 12 that will sit in the 12, 12 thrones yeah, and, that's and judge the 12 have tribes. One, but- and they have a sense that there needs to be a 12th apostle to replace. Uh-huh. But it's amb- ambiguous, in the te- ambiguous in the text because before the coming of the Holy Spirit— they draw straws. It's unclear if, if God was involved in that or not. It's a really interesting story. I haven't quite been able to make I mean, I know this. I know that uh, without getting into all the emotionally loaded stuff, um, it's interesting that Jesus had female disciples but not female apostles. And that's an interesting mm-hmm. question, and there are different theories about that. Um, because he was so radical at breaking down kind of gender barriers. And um, so there are different theories from different people I really look up to and respect. I don't have any dogmatic view on that. But certainly I think what most people agree on is that the reason Jesus chose 12 apostles and possibly the reason he chose 12 men was it was this like symbolic prophetic act that he was kind of restarting a new Israel, which was founded by 12 brothers, right. which became the, the name, literal name uh-huh. of 12 tribes. 
So Jesus is saying that my right. followers, who eventually are made up of Jews and Gentiles, a major theme in the New Testament, we think of it as no big deal. It was earth shattering at the time. Is This is a new Israel. I'm forming a new family, a new humanity. I'm, I'm fulfilling the promise I made to Abraham so many centuries before. I will bless you and you will be a blessing and through you all nations on earth will be blessed. And this movement is now going outside the boundaries of ethnic Jews to the whole world. And it's starting with this small community of apprentices of Jesus. So certainly, whatever else is happening, that's happening. And the 12 tribes judging the, yeah. I, think, I think that's what Jesus is saying, is my promise to Abraham is coming true. Yeah. Okay, I like that. That's very good. Isn't that fascinating, that's though? I, so that, me, that's my way of, stuff like of that like is what giving keeps... you a different answer. You didn't ask that question, and because I don't know the answer. Oh, so, so good. Is Jesus, yeah, I, I don't. But I don't but the beauty of scripture is those questions never stop coming. The longer no, we're in, and that's what I right. Tim like, whole that's thing the fun is of so it. So awesome on the Bible is full of puzzles, and they're there on purpose. Yeah, and you know the like the Psalm one kind of way of meditation on scripture. It's it's he calls it Jewish meditation yeah. literature. You're designed, I've just followed Jesus long enough. It's, but even some of the ones that are troubling to me, that one's not troubling. Other parts of the Bible are troubling. Yeah. And I just trust that I yeah. don't understand it yet. And that if I just sit with the puzzle, um, I don't, they're not all going to get solved by the, the end, by the time I die. But they will, you know what I mean? You just have that beautiful moment where like you've read a story in the Bible for forever and you're just totally confused by it. And then you randomly hear some podcast yeah. or hear some sermon or some, and you're like, oh, Oh, that's what it means. I've always wondered about that. And it's always been weird to me. And then like somebody just says something, you're like, oh, now it makes perfect sense. That makes sense. You know, I've just yeah. I've had so many yeah. of those moments. You learn to just hold in in gentle tension the the parts of the Bible yeah. that you still have questions. And about. when there stops being questions about scripture and I get bored, that I if I get bored on anything, you know me. If I get bored on something, I'm out. And so curiosity is one of the greatest gifts God's mm. ever given me. I love being curious. And so the the Bible keeps being fun to me because I can't stop being curious about what we run I into. If, like I wonder if that, that's part of why God made, you know, God inspired the writers of the Library of Scripture to have so many obtuse moments in there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. Know. Just to keep us... Keep it interesting. Yeah. Um, okay, so finish with this for us. It's the first, you know, it's the second full real week of January. Okay. And... People are making their new rhythms mm, for the year. Love it. So tell us why. Just give us a pitch for apprenticing with Jesus. Why is this the year? If someone is new to this and they're listening because they heard this was a Christian podcast and they're new to this whole thing, or they're ready to re-enter into a faith life at all, hmm. what is the why behind apprenticing Jesus in 2024? Mm. I love the new year just based on my personality type. Yeah. You know, there's nothing different between January 1st and December 31st, but there's some psychological right. line in the sand where you're like, all right. It's like the, like the feeling you get at the beginning of a new day. It's like, okay, it's a new day. Yeah. Um, I love that sense of blank canvas, whether it's a complete myth and illusion or not. I just, I love that. Sense. Yeah, right. I think... You can't think about apprenticeship to Jesus the way you think about like getting in shape or going on a diet or finally quitting your job yeah. and starting that new business as this thing you need to go do 
And is this year the thing I'm going to do? I'm going to start running four days a week and do yoga one day a week and eat all paleo and pray every day and follow Jesus. It's not take it out of that category, put it in the life category. And, you know, I opened the book with the question, who are you following? And I just try to argue that everybody is following somebody or something in Christian language. Everyone is a disciple. The question is not, are you a disciple? It's who or what are you a disciple of? And what I mean by that is right now you're already following something or somebody. You're already apprenticing. You're already on a journey. You're already going somewhere with your life. You're already moving through the universe. You're already getting up in the morning and putting on some clothes and going out to do something with your life. You're already looking to something or someone to make you happy and give you peace. It could be, all right, when I lose 20 pounds or when my podcast gets to this or when my new business is this or when I retire, when my kids graduate or when Mm -hmm. so-and-so likes me or when I get married or when I make this much money or when I graduate from college. could be anything. Or when I, you know, climb El Capitan, it could be any, or when I travel to Honduras, it could be anything. But you're already mm-hmm. pursuing something or someone, looking for something or someone to make you happy and at peace, and um, or whatever language you put around it. And so the the call to apprentice under Jesus is in that category not in the New Year's resolutions category. And I'm not against New Year's resolutions and have better habits and start your day by praying the Psalms, not by yeah, looking just at a Instagram. different category. But this is a much deeper question. It's about really who are you trusting? Who do you, who or what do you believe will lead you to the life you most deeply desire? When Jesus said, yes. come and follow me, he wasn't asking you to do something you're not already doing. You're already following, you're already walking, you're already living a life. He was asking or calling you to trust him to shepherd you, lead you, guide you to the life that at some level we all most deeply desire, which we who follow Jesus have come to believe is found in following Jesus into the inner life of love that we call the Trinity and doing life with other followers of Jesus, sharing his love between us. And... Jesus called that, or the writer John, the Apostle John called that the life that is truly life. And uh, many people are living, if you're listening to this, you're alive, but are you living, you know? Um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's it, John Mark. That's right. Well, I'm I'm so um, grateful for this book. I'm, it feels the long, slow process. Mm, sorry about that. Of faith and writing. It wasn't a, my decision. Just clarify. Well, I know. I, it was my decision to write I about know. it. But I know you're just the one who keeps <laughs> saying it to me over and over for the last. I don't know. You came on the show in March of 2017, John wow. Mark Homer. So for the last seven years, you've been telling me to slow down. And um, but I, you know, the mm. thing about the book is it, it really lays out how to write a rule of life yes. and mm-hmm. based on these practices. And I think- Which is a little bit more in the New Year's resolutions category, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. It's, it, yeah, but I mean, you're, the thing is, it is the, in, it is the indirect thing you were talking about earlier yes. is the indirect way is to write the rule of yep. life because the direct way I can't do on my exactly. own. Exactly. 
But so I'm I'm grateful for the long, slow process that 20 that also I don't have to have the rule of life by January 31st of 2024. Yeah. I can spend the whole year writing whole what I want my life to be. Right. And that's and that is being shaped as I'm working on it. And so cool that there, is my goal is to our, spend um, the year. doing. We built it. A, a little I'm not again on the tech. I'm not a big tech guy, but we built a cool piece of tech on our website that's free. There's a link to it in the back of the book uh-huh. or you can go to practicingtheway.org. That's a, called a rule of life builder. That's really cool. It walks you through kind of a digital process to. Um, construct a rule of life and then it's editable and it's shareable and it'll print it out in a PDF for you. It's pretty cool. Oh, I love it. So that's there if anybody that's great. Thank curious, you for that. It's free and for anybody. Yeah. Thank you. Well, glad to have you on my friend. Thanks for making Any time for us. Downs, I love chatting to you. Thank you for having me on. Happy Thanks. New Year it's and mutual. may the peace of Christ be with you. Oh, you guys, isn't he just the best? We are so lucky that John Mark always makes time, energy, space, thoughts for us. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for him. I, I, few pastors have shaped my life the way John Mark and his work have shaped my life. And that seems true for a bunch of y'all as well from what you say to us. So make sure you get a copy of Practicing the Way. And if you aren't already, go follow him on social media. Tell him thanks again for being on the show. And thanks for being a Hall of Funner. If you have any questions from this episode, you can drop them in the Q&A box on your Spotify app. Or if you want to, you can just DM them to us on Instagram at That Sounds Fun Podcast. We will answer them for you over there. If you need anything else from me, you know I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, on a plane on my way back to Nashville. Anywhere you may need me, that is how you can find me. And I think that's it for me today, friends. Go out or stay home. Do something that sounds fun to you, and I will do the same. Today, what sounds fun to me is getting home and time to see a friend play some music tonight. So I'm just going to hustle and bustle, hurry home to get there. So I'm excited to be back. Y'all have a great weekend. We'll see you back here on Monday with a really important conversation as we are entering an election year with our friend, Michael Ware. We'll see y'all there. That sounds fun. That sounds fun.